Morning, church. It is awesome to see you here today. Good turnout for our first service. So glad that you're here. Listen, uh, we're excited about this series that we're doing called Now More Than Ever because we believe the church of Jesus Christ is needed in functioning at the, at the way God intended to function now more than ever. And we've looked at the truth that we need to stand upon. That, that if nothing else, we need to be people of the truth and live by God's truth and share that truth with others. And then last week, Jeff did an amazing job showing us that this place, the church, is an ICU. It's a, it's a place where hurting people get help, and we care for each other with compassion and very practical help, uh, inspiring message. Today, I want to talk to you about the fact that our church and every church that Jesus starts does not exist for its own self. We don't exist. The church doesn't need, isn't needed more than ever because we're trying to self-preserve. We're here because the world needs a light in its darkness. So we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the people that aren't even here yet, right? That's literally why the church exists. That's our purpose, to be on a mission with God, to rescue those that are far from him. So they could come to know him and his love and his forgiveness and his life and then dwell with him in eternity one day. That is literally our purpose. So let me take you back a while. And I know this is a story. I know I've told her I haven't reached the age where I'll tell stories over and over again and not realize it. I'm not there yet. Uh, I know I've told you this before. Some of you have heard it. But some years ago before this church, I was on a church staff. And my role in that church was, I was called minister to the community. It was an outreach position. I was there to try to bring people in and bring people to the Lord. And, uh, and I realized that at some point along the way, I got so distracted and so busy with all kinds of other church stuff. When I went to write down the names of people that I, that I knew personally that were far from God, I could not list five names. I thought, man, there's something broken about that. Man, I'm supposed to be the outreach guy, and I don't even know anybody that need out, needs outreach. And so I began to pray, hey, God, soften my heart for the lost. Soften my heart for the lost. And I thought that was a good prayer. But at some point in there, uh, Lord pressed into me and said, that's a good prayer, but you could take it up a notch, Rod. And, you, you know, you always buckle up when you hear that from God, right? It's like, okay, what do you mean? And he says, listen, you need to pray that I'll break your heart for lost people. I said, Okay. So I began to pray, hey, God, break my heart for lost people. Uh, I was on a church staff, like I said, so kind of like Eric and, and Corey, every so often I got to come up and preach. It was a large church. It was a big deal. I was always excited to preach maybe three, four times a year. And uh, as I was driving in to that Sunday service, it was early. I think it was Time Change Sunday, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and I was I got to be honest, I was distracted driving. I was, it, wasn't bef it was before cell phones, I think, or if I had one, it wasn't smart anyway. And so I wasn't on my phone. Uh, I wasn't on my phone at all. I was looking at my notes for the sermon that day as I was driving. Sorry, Lord, forgive me. It was, it was wrong. Well, the reason that's relevant is as I looked up from my notes, my car whizzed by a little child walking down a two-lane highway, 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, in his, in his diaper. And I missed him by that much. Obviously, scared the crap out of me. I pull over. I run over to the kid. He's by himself, by the way. And this is, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. And I said, little boy, what are you doing out here? And he couldn't answer me. And I said, little boy, where is your home? We need to find your home. And he said something unintelligible. And I, I didn't know really what he said. And I said, man, I don't know what to do, Lord. What do I do? Well, there's a neighborhood right there by the, by the main road. I said, 
taking a shot. I said, let's walk down this road, and if you see your home, will you point to it where your home is? And so I took the little boy's hand, and we began to walk down this neighborhood road. I said, is this your home? He didn't say anything. Is this your home? Is this your home? And finally, I said, is this your home? And he gave a grunt or something. I mean, enough of an indicator like this, I need to take a chance on this house. And I thought, these people are really going to hate me or they're going to love me. And we ring the doorbell, and it was his home. And his parents scooped him up and said, he's been getting out. He's learned how to open the door. we got to put a lock high enough that he can't get in. And then I recognized that there's actually a family that goes to, went to our church, the same church I was preaching at. And I knew the little boy, Jagger. That's how smart I am, by the way. I didn't <laughs> recognize it was Jagger. It's a big church. Give me that. And I said, you know, they're so thankful. I said, you're welcome. And I said, I'll see you at church. Pretty sure they're coming that day. I said, I'll see you at church. And I turned around to go back to my car. And God spoke. I've never heard him in my ears, but he spoke to my heart. And he said, This is what I want you to do. There are people out there that are lost, they're confused, they're naked, and they're all alone. And they need somebody to take them by the hand. And to lead them home. Lead them home. And in that moment, God broke my heart here today with all of us. And so if you've got your Bible, you can also follow along on your, on your app or uh, on the screens. We're going to look at Luke chapter 16. It's a passage I've never preached. And I've been excited about preaching this for a while. Um, and I'm going to give you some context later in the message. But just understand, this is a story Jesus tells. And some, uh, some theologians think it's an actual true event of actual people that happen. I tend to think that it's more of a, like a parable, like real circumstances and real places, but set with fictitious characters. Either way, Jesus tells a story rooted in reality from Luke chapter 16. And it starts in verse 19. He says this. I'm going to read the whole passage and we'll talk about it. Jesus said there was a rich man who always dressed in the finest clothes and lived in luxury every day. And a very poor man named Lazarus, whose body was covered with sores, was laid at the rich man's gate. He wanted to eat only the small pieces of food that fell from the rich man's table. And the dog would come and lick his sores. Later, Lazarus died, and the angels carried him to the arms of Abraham. The rich man died too, and he was buried. In the place of the dead, he was in much pain. The rich man saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. He called, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and then to cool my tongue because I am suffering in this fire. But Abraham said, Child, remember that when you were alive, you had the good things in life, but bad things happened to Lazarus. Now he is comforted here and you are suffering. Besides, there's this big pit between you and us, and so no one can cross over to you, and no one can leave there and come here. The rich man said, Father, then please send Lazarus to tell my, fa my father's house. I have five brothers and said, could warn them so that they would not come to this place of pain. But Abraham said, they have the law of Moses and the writing of the prophets. Let them learn from them. Yet they have the scriptures. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, if someone come, goes to them from the dead, they would believe and change their hearts and lives. But Abraham said to them, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen to someone who comes back from the dead. 
Now, there's two main characters in this story, and I want to look at each one of them separately. The first one I want to look at is Lazarus. Lazarus lived his days in need and in want, but he shouldn't have. He lived his days in need and want, but he should not have. In fact, there's people right around us outside of our doors that I believe need rescue and they need help, that they have needs that could be met. And we may or may not know their names, but I believe God's placed us in their lives or in their vicinity to be a help to them. And I just wonder how concerned we are about the people in need around us. Are we concerned or unconcerned like the rich man? Many people are living their lives in misery that I believe could be helped. I really believe that. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture. This breaks my heart to even bring it up. I know it's going to hurt Rich. Um, Councilman Rich took several of us on a, he led a mission trip to Jamaica and myself and Addie and Ryan and I think there might have been others, but at least that core from Crossroads went down to Jamaica for a mission trip. We met a really engaging young man named Muda. You have that picture, Daryl? Great smile, great energy, loves the Lord, um, just a great guy. And he's actually serving with the ministry down there in Harmons, Jamaica. And I got to know Muda a little bit and, and just, you know, like all the Jamaicans, they're just awesome people. Well, last year he got rat fever. It's a disease down there, and um, he got sick. Uh, the thing about rat fever, I didn't know anything about it, but the, an antibiotic, if you get the right one, you can heal rat fever. It's a common thing that could be cured by a simple um, antibiotic. But in Jamaica, you don't have access to things like that. And so he stayed sick, and he, I hate to say, in December of last year, died from rat fever. It makes me sad to think that something that is so easily fixed didn't get fixed. It makes me so sad to know that we've got to wait to heaven to see this guy again. It makes me sad to know it could have been done to help him, but for whatever reason, it wasn't available, and it, it didn't happen. Can I tell you guys that we know there's people with pressing needs all around us, and I believe we can help. I believe by the power of Jesus Christ and the rallying together as a church that you and I have been put here to help those in need. And I have a short list. There's a far longer list. But there are people in our community afflicted with abuse and poverty and addictions, defeated by sin, overwhelmed with depression. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Look at Lazarus himself. He was poor, man. He didn't have anything. And he had ill health. He was, he was struggling with his health. That Eventually, he died. Let me just ask you. Let me pause right there. We see all the suffering in the world and, and wonder why things are getting worse and worse. And we say, is God not concerned about those things? Was God not concerned about Lazarus and his, and his suffering? You say, yeah, why, why didn't God do something about his poverty and make a way for him to be able to feed himself? And, and why didn't God do something about his, his sickness and provide a way for him to be cured? Why didn't God intervene with Muda? Is God not concerned? Let me ask you in response to that, because I've wrestled with the same question. Reading that story, what do you think God's solution was for providing for the needs of Lazarus? Anybody? Yeah, and specifically the rich man. He's laying at the gates of somebody who could have helped, and he didn't. Yeah, God's concerned. And so I believe God has placed you and I and others right where we need to be to meet the needs of the people around us if we're open to it. By the way, the name Lazarus 
His name, I think, is symbolic because his name means, uh, his name means helpless and forsaken, Lazarus does. So I don't believe there's one Lazarus. I think we're talking about many, many different Lazarus. There's a lot of people that feel helpless and forsaken. There's people right outside our doors, right here on Hawkins Lane, that go through the Dairy Queen drive through every day, that park in our parking lot and leave trash, and all kinds of people right outside our door. I'm not bitter. Uh, right outside our door that we could be a help to if we're looking for them. Can I tell you something? There's people right outside your door, right down the street, right down the lane, right next door potentially that need your help if you're looking, if we're looking. And I just let me just say this too. As a church, we're doing some really cool stuff. And I'm so thankful that we have a church that has a closed closet and every month we're helping people that need, have that need in their life and we're feeding them and we're giving them some clothes and trying to help them get going again. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful that every Monday night at our church host Celebrate Recovery and Don and Penny and their other leaders are making people welcome and, and seeing recovery happen in their lives. And I'm so grateful that we're doing that and we're seeing addictions and heartache and, and hurts healed by Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that every December really starts in November, we do this thing called Holiday Connection, and, and Beth Martin uh, usually plans it all for us, but we take all these gifts to needy kids in our community and help them uh, have a blessing and a Christmas that they can be proud of, and I'm so glad that we do those things, and I'm so thankful that we do those things, and I praise God that we do those things, but here's what I believe. I don't believe we can have enough programs at Crossroads to meet all the needs. I don't think we can add program after program. I don't believe that's what God intends for us. I think what we need is person after person program to look for and meet the needs of the people right outside their door. That's what I believe. And I bet if you and I are looking for it, you know what I mean? Just getting your radar up and start looking around. I have passed people in the last three weeks that were pulled over with car trouble, and I didn't stop. I'm just being honest with you. If we start looking for those opportunities and taking them, I believe God can use us to meet needs right here in our community. If we're looking for them, we take an interest in other people, we make an effort to do it, and we can meet needs in our community, and God can use it in a profound way. No longer ignoring the needs, and listen to us, not settling for the crumbs off the table. So here's my question I'm going to come back to. Eric alluded to it earlier. Who's your one? Who's the one person in your life? There may be one person. Everyone has one. There's one person that as I've been talking about people that have a need, there's somebody that's dinging in your head and going, man, that person needs my help. Maybe they're depressed. That person needs my help. They're, not, they're struggling to make ends meet. That person needs my help. They need a friend to listen to. Whatever the need is, everybody has one. The rich man had Lazarus. Who's your Lazarus? That God has strategically, listen to this, it isn't an accident. He has strategically put you in their life so that you could be a light to shine for Jesus Christ for them. Who's your one? Now that was Lazarus. We looked at Lazarus. Now I want to look at the rich man. Let's look at the rich man together. See, I believe there's people all around us that have a greater need than Lazarus had. The reality is, is the rich man had a greater need than Lazarus because the rich man ended up in a really horrible place. And regardless of how well we do it, meeting people's needs in the here and now, and believe me, I'm, I'm all for that. We need to be, be about that. Jesus Christ did not come to create a better world for people to go to hell from. 
And he did not start and create the church to, to make people's lives better from which they go to hell from. That we have been given this rescue mission that we would be a part of God's plan to rescue those and snatch them from the flames that they may not end up where the rich man did. That's a huge need. It's the greatest need that anyone could ever have, rescuing people from hell. Even if they don't see it, even if they don't understand it, the greatest need, every single person that you meet, if they don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, their single greatest need is to be rescued, even if they don't know it. And so the rescue mission is urgent. I think that's a blank you got. It's urgent. This, is, this isn't just something we can think about on Sunday and then bounce off of it. It's urgent. Because they have eternal problems that only Jesus can fix. See, the rich man didn't know until it was too late that he had this huge need. He didn't even realize it until it was too late. Now, here's, here's what I've gotten so excited about this message, and I've been waiting for this part. Uh, it dawned on me several months ago how strategic this was where God put this story in the Bible. And if you ever think about context, it's really cool. Uh, if let me go back just a, a chapter, and in Luke chapter 15, you might know this, that Jesus told three parables that all had really the same point, and he talked about the lost sheep. Remember this one? The 99 were good, but one strayed away. He talked about the lost coin. The one woman swept her house clean to look for the one coin, and then the prodigal son, the one son stayed, but the other son left and got in all kinds of trouble. And it shows the heart of God that he values what is lost. In fact, he said, listen, the shepherd needs to leave the 99 and go after the one. And the, and the woman swept her whole house. That, that, that it's so important and it's so urgent that, that you take a disproportionate amount of concern to go after what is lost. And I agree with that. We have to have a disproportional amount of concern for those people who are far from God. Listen, if God is concerned about the clothes they wear and the food he, he, they, that people eat, how can he not be so much more greatly concerned about where they spend eternity? He must be. He must be. See, that one problem is greater. I don't mean to condescend on anybody's problems that you have today. It's far greater. Because every problem you and I have, think about this, this is such good news today. Every problem you and I have, if we know Christ, is temporary and one day it'll be gone. Isn't that good? I want to give God thanks for that. It's going to be gone one day. Every, this single one problem that people without Christ have is eternal and it will never go away. So John, I'm sorry, Luke 15 shows the heart of God and his great love to rescue the lost. He's so concerned. He said, listen, you 99 church people, I love you and, I, and, I, and I'll always be there for you, but I've got to go find that one because they, they matter to me too. It shows the heart of God and his great love. Jesus said it this way in Luke 19. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus wasn't fuzzy at all about why he had come. He said, listen, there's people that don't know my Father, and they've got to know him. I've got to find them and rescue them. Let me just ask you right here. Does knowing that people are lost, does that stir your heart? Does that, does that stir your heart to know there's people like the rich man that one day are going to end up in torment? Does that, does that hurt your heart? Does that burden you? 
this is a this is a question that I've been getting rocked with. When's the last time you prayed through tears for somebody that was lost that they might be found by the Savior? And if you're there, you have discovered the heart of God. You've discovered it because that is His heart. Now, that's Luke 15. Luke 16, the beginning of Luke 16, he tells another parable. And I think this is incredible because he tells this parable about this shrewd manager. That's what the heading is in most Bibles. And he's a liar and he's a thief. And the manager, who's God in the parable, commends him for acting shrewdly. You say, was God condoning that kind of behavior or lying and cheating? No, no, no. But what he is doing is this. He's saying, listen, uh, Luke 15 was the heart of God in reaching people with the good news. And then chapter 16 begins the mind of God and that we should use our brains and our noodles to do everything we can to be shrewd and, and, and strategic in how we can reach people for Christ. And that we should leverage with us to heaven as we can. That we isn't just a heart thing. We need to have the heart, but we also have our mind engaged in the mission as well. And so we use our brains leading people like the rich man, like the people right outside your doors to the Father. And we leverage our resources. We use what God has given us now so that we can store up treasures in heaven. And those treasures, I got news for you, are people that we take with us to heaven, and that we prepare our minds to be used by the master. I know some of you, I've been praying all morning, God, there's, a, the, the, there's fear that grips us when we say, I'm supposed to go tell people about Jesus, and we just think, I'm not that person, or I can't do that, and I have fear about that. Listen, that, I can't tell you enough, that just isn't true. It's a lie we need to dismiss. And so I'm going to challenge you, if you want to start preparing your mind to be someone who goes on this rescue mission with God, we have this awesome training called Becoming a Contagious Christian. And we're going to offer it again on April 17th. And if you say, listen, I have the heart, but my mind, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get started. I don't know how, you know, what, what kind of things I could do to do that. Then, then you prepare your mind and get ready to be a part of the rescue mission with him. So God's saying engage your hearts and your minds in this rescue mission. Now to our parable in Luke 16. He says you got to have the heart of God, you need to have the mind of God, and I believe this story we're reading today is that you got to have the will of God. You need you need the passion of God. It shows how urgent this thing really is and that God is showing us, man, there's people that are going to end up in torment and they would do anything to get out of it. They would say just go tell my brothers. They got to know and this thing's urgent. And I want you to know you have to have the will like the Father's will. In fact, 2 Peter 3 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Some are saying, why is Jesus waiting so long to come back? As some understand slowness. <clears throat> Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You ever thought about that? How bad does this world have to get? Why is Jesus taking so long? What is he waiting for? This is the answer. The answer is simply this. God is patiently waiting that more and more people would be rescued before the time of judgment comes. He's like, I'm giving them more chances. I want them one more chance. One more chance. You know, they're putting me off, but I want to give them another chance before it's too late. Before it's too late. See, God doesn't want anyone, listen to this, 
God doesn't want anyone to end up like the rich man. He created hell and this fire that we're going to see for, the, for Satan and his demons. That's why he created that place. He created it for eternal torment for them. But unfortunately, unless someone comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they end up there too. questioning the Lord and his wisdom. But the problem with him waiting is more people are dying without the Savior than are dying with the Savior every single day. And that must break his heart. See, the rescue mission is urgent because people are dying. And that's your blank there. I mean, every day, they're dying without the Savior. Rich or poor, doesn't matter. Healthy or sick, it's the great equalizer. It's the great common denominator. Every single one of us are going to end up passing on from this life. And at death, the die is cast. Did you notice that in the story when Lazarus was saying, hey, listen, maybe there's an intermediate step, or the rich man is saying, maybe there's a way out, and, and Abraham is speaking for God says, no, there's no way out. The die is cast. Well, maybe I can cross to the other side. No, it's too late. It's over. The moment of death is the moment the die is cast. And at that point, it'll be too late for those who do not know Jesus Christ. It'll be too late for you if you die without Christ in your life. One day it'll be too late for the one person God's put in your life to reach. Think about that. Think about that. God says, I put that person in your life, but you didn't do what you're... I don't know. I, I don't know how... How he reconciles that, but that, that doesn't sit well with me. Some years ago, very early on in the life of our church, uh, I don't know, I think we did an outreach, like a block party or something. We met a young lady. She had a really troubled past, a lot of, a lot of issues in her life, and she had some health issues. And uh, Praise God, a few weeks of coming and getting to know us and being a part of a small group, she gave her life to Christ. She surrendered and said, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior to save me from my sins, and I, need, I want you to be the Lord of my life, and you lead me. And one week later, she died. Urgent. I thought, what if, what if we hadn't met her? What if she hadn't responded? What if none of that? Think about it. She would have spent eternity in torment like the rich man. This is urgent. It's urgent because people are dying. It's also urgent because of what is coming. Because there's a real place of comfort and there's a real place of torment. And the rich man had no idea there was a place of torment. It just hit him blindside. He had no idea. And then once he was there and he recognized, man, this is real, he was desperate. He had done anything that he could tell his brothers so at least they wouldn't get there. It's urgent because that place is real and it's awful. It's real and it's awful. You ever been uh, in trouble with your mom? Liar. I heard that. I heard that. When you've been in trouble with your mom and she's fine. <laughs> Dad gets home. Y'all hear that one? And you go on a, a, a a plea bargaining, you know, begging on your knees, anything but when dad gets home, beat me, take my whatever you want to take, ground me forever. Here's the keys. Just don't do that. And she said, nope, I'm done with you. I'm always just wait till your dad gets home. He's going to deal with you. Man, that was horrible, knowing that there was judgment coming, that there was pain coming. Can I tell you something? 
whatever you've ever dreaded in this life doesn't even pale. It pales. It doesn't even compare to what the dread is that's coming for those that don't know Christ. It's a place of death, pain, suffering, fire. It's worse than we think. I've heard people say, oh, me and my friends, me and my buddies are going to be in hell together. We'll have a good old time. I'm going to tell you something. There ain't no parties there. It's only pain. They are deceived. I'm going to read you a verse that really wrecked me. Revelation chapter 20 says this. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. That's the throne of God in judgment. Each person was judged for what he had done. This is, this is the fate for everyone who doesn't receive Christ. He says, okay, if you don't receive me, the only thing I have to base your judgment on is how good you've done. And it isn't compared to other people. I'm going to compare you to the perfection and holiness of God himself. And he said, you're going to fall short. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a terrible sentence. That's a terrible reality. That by faith in Christ, your name gets written in the book of life. But everyone who hasn't had that happen to them and made the decision to yield their life to Jesus Christ, their name's not written in the book. And if their name's not in the book, he's going to say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go there. And hell is fire, doesn't it? urgent. Last thing, our mission is urgent because people don't know. People don't know what they don't know. They don't know what's waiting them. I think we assume all the time that, that everyone that's not here on Sunday or not a part of a, a church somewhere, that they've done it because they, they've rejected the offer and, and they, we just assume that they don't want anything to do with God. And while there's some people that are like that for certain, I think many people are going to end up in this place of torment because they don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. And they've been fooled by human philosophy and trapped in false religion and deceived by wealth and hardened by hurt. And have these emotional scars that are keeping them from the Father. When the truth of God could heal them, the forgiveness of God could heal them, the love of God could heal them, and he could do a miracle in their life if they would only open their heart up to him. And they need someone like you and me to take them to that place by taking them by the hand and leading them home to the Father. Can I tell you something? They are desperate to know the Father even if they don't realize it. It is what their heart has longed for their entire life. Guys, it's urgent. So here's my challenge to everybody, everybody in our church. Who's your one? Who is the one person that God has put in your life, maybe to, to meet needs and to serve them like, like Lazarus needed? But who is the one that God has said, listen, if you don't know that they're a believer in me, then it's your mission to find out and help them to get there. Who's your one? Who's your one? The need of the hour is for us to act with urgency, to make it a priority. If the thought of people being in torment sickens you, make it priority one. Listen, make it priority one. Have you ever done that? Say, God, what you did to seek and save the lost is now going to be priority one in my life. What about my family? Listen, I'm just saying, priority one. You might think I'm crazy. Why wouldn't that be priority one? 
course you take care of your family. You're going to do that anyway. Make this priority one. To engage people, the people right outside the door, your door, the people you see in the grocery store, the people you see wherever you go in your weekly routine, God has placed in your life for a purpose. So who's your one? Serve them. Invite them to church. If they got another church you want to help them get plugged in, go take them one week and take them there and make sure they get plugged in. It doesn't have to be here. But you take them and help them find the good news. Maybe you're bold enough to actually talk to them about the Savior and what it means to have a relationship with Him. Who is your one? That you'd be determined, determined, that God's going to use you this year. Who's your one? We should have put it on the bulletin. Who's your one in 2021? We can't say someday because it's urgent. Who's your one this year? We got nine months left. Who's your one that you're going to be strategically and intentionally reaching out to so they might come to know Jesus Christ? Some of y'all know this. When we didn't have a building, we said we're by faith going to trust God that we're going to have a building one day. Well, here we are. (laughs) God's good, right? And we said when we build that building one day, we're going to put these two by fours and and build a room and we finally figured out what room we're going to do. We're going to put these in the baptismal changing rooms out here one day. And on here, we started to pray. We wanted a thousand people to be prayed for, for salvation. And so we started listing names. Isn't that beautiful? And these were people that we didn't know if they knew Jesus. And so we've been, we prayed over these for weeks and weeks and months and months that people would come to know Christ. Well, I'm adding to it today. And it says, who's your one? And so what I'm asking us to do is if you're going to prayerfully commit to somebody in your life that you're going to be intentional about trying to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would come during this closing song and you'll write their name down as a declaration between you and the Lord to say, God, I'm taking this serious. It's urgent and I'm in. I'm going to help in the rescue to do that, that that person might come to know Jesus Christ. So in just a second, I'm going to ask you to do that. But don't do it if you don't mean it. Before we pray... I just want to say this. Maybe you're the one that needs rescue. I mean, coming to church doesn't automatically mean that you have been rescued by Jesus Christ. There's an act of your will where you finally say, I can't do this on my own. I need God's intervention in my life. And you open your heart up to Jesus and you say, I need you to forgive me. I need you to come into my life. I can't make it to heaven on my own. Listen, I don't want to end up in that fiery place. Come rescue me, Jesus. If that's what you need today, you make this your prayer. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, this is, there is nothing more urgent that someone in this room right now or somebody watching online might say, I need to know this God who loves me and is willing to forgive me, that will rescue me from the fires of hell and put me in home with him in heaven one day. If that's your need right now, don't put it off. The Father's been waiting patiently and he says, now it's time to come home to me. If that's you today, you pray with me. This is between you and the Lord. Just make this your prayer. Say, God, I'm coming home. And I recognize that my sin has prevented me from doing that. I've busted it. I've broken it. I've I've failed you. But my eyes have been opened to the beauty of Jesus and what he did for me today. And so, God, I ask you to forgive me in Jesus' name. Tell them that in future. 
by what Jesus did on a cross and an empty tomb. I put my faith in him. And I want to follow him out of gratitude for what he's done for me. God, help me to live for you. Man, if that was your prayer, I got good news. Your name is written in the book of life. And you have a new home in heaven. And you have a new family called the church. And the spirit of the living God just just came and set up camp in your heart. He's not leaving you. And I just want to challenge you. If you prayed that today, don't be shy about it. When people start coming up and and writing names on these boards, I'm going to be standing to the side. I want you to come talk to me. Tell me. He rescued me today. And God, I pray for your church. I pray this one stings. Break our hearts for lost people, God. And I pray that every person in this room has the joy one day of taking somebody by the hand and leading them home to you. There's not a better place to be. Lord, give us courage. Remove our fear. Give us a dogged determination, the same passion, the same heart, the same mind of God for lost people that you love. I believe you're going to do that in Jesus' name.